Hi, I'm John. And I'm Ron, and this is Digital Divination on the No Direction Network. All right, and we are back for episode 52 of Digital Divination. Uh, you know, this is officially now two years since we started. Oh, that's right, 52. That's yeah. right. We've done 26 twice. Yes. Happy anniversary, John. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. You know, it's if you look at the timing of it, it, we started right with the pandemic. So this has pretty much just a, been a pandemic uh you know, podcast for us, you know? Right. Well, it, which doesn't mean we wouldn't be fine to be yeah. recording when there is not a global pandemic too. That would actually <laughs> be my preference. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, um, with the, the loosening of the COVID protocols, it seems like things are sort of getting back to normal. I noticed um, like uh, some folks are talking about uh, who's going to PaisaCon and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I almost worry that we're jumping the gun. It looks really good right now, but I worry about like two weeks, three weeks from now when stuff that's happening in Asia and in Europe with the new variant of Omicron, is that going to hit us as well? You know? Yeah. I know. And I think the CDC just today said it is going to hit us and we are underfunded in order to address it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that's always been, I mean, there's, there has been a lot of lifting of the, uh, the mask mandates and the vaccine yeah. testing. I still see, I was out and about today for a little bit and still virtually everybody was masked regardless. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the, uh, stores I was in, there was like a group of four or five, you know, guys, mm -hmm. late teens, maybe early twenties, and none of them were masked. And you could tell just kind of by right. the relief on their faces, they were like, this yeah. was their excursion out to not be masked. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, that's, you know, young people like that, it's a much bigger percentage of their lives that this has impacted. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I didn't feel really like that think about be, that. Yeah. Yeah. I could feel like this could be kind of a big thing. I mean, if you're somebody who's 17 now was, you know, 15, when the mm -hmm. pandemic started and I, you know, I didn't change a lot between 45 and 47, <laughs> but I changed a lot from 15 to 17. Yeah, yeah. Well, all the things that happened in high school, the events and everything that got disrupted and, you know, or changed, we had to wear masks and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I can, I can see well, why a lot of people were probably really hopeful now, especially younger folks that this is, this is the end. Um, yeah, so, we can hope. We'll see. I know that there is, uh, like, we just heard at Paizo for PaizoCon that PaizoCon will have a will be hybrid. It will be partially in person, right. and they've been asking people in the office, "Would you feel comfortable being in person, or would you feel, you know, rather be remote?" Mm -hmm. And I chose remote not because I'm not yeah. comfortable being in person. I actually really like being in person, right. but it is going to be a masked event, and I just can't yeah. with my, uh, you know, with my hearing. I have to see people's lips move, especially yeah. when I'm in a very, a very, very social setting mm -hmm. like PaizoCon is. 
Um, so I worried that I'd be running a panel and somebody would want to ask a question and I wouldn't be able to understand them through their mask halfway across the room. I mean, I have a hard time hearing people anyway. Um, so I said, you know what, just this year it's going to have to be in person or it's, I can't do in person. Um, and I worry that I came off sounding like a jerk in that it was, well, I can't do in person if we're going to have masks. That makes me sound like an anti-masker and I'm not, (laughs) but, um, but I'll be able to, to participate remotely. And I'm glad that they're providing for that. So even with the mask mandate being lifted in Washington, there's still going to be masks required there? That's what they're saying now. Um, okay. And they are, uh, they Interesting. they p- might be able to lift that. They don't want to be able to say though, because here's, here's the situation. They can't right. say it will be masks optional. And then if something happens, say, right, oh, no, no, right, no, we right, didn't right, mean right. it. Put your mask back on. Because then people might really regret having chosen to come in person if they wanted to be in my, I would regret because I'm like, oh, so right. I, I actually can't be hearing people um, or understanding them uh, right, with right, a lack right, of hearing. Right. But they can go the other way. They could say it is going to be masked, but then maybe we'll lighten that a little bit. I don't think they mm-hmm. will. I think they've said, look, we've got to make a decision about how we're going to hold it and what the requirements are going to be. Right. And because people make plans way ahead of time, we can't right, right, change right. that a lot. Well, yeah. a lot of people are excited for coming. So I, I actually wasn't aware of that part. I just assumed with the mandate lifting that they were going to change that. So um, hopefully they'll broadcast that out pretty soon for people. Yeah, they are. <laughs> I, I think the plan yeah. is to be able to broadcast that pretty soon. Yeah. I don't know. As much as it's personally inconvenient for me, I still think that having masks at a show, a big show like PaizoCon or Gen Con yeah. is probably a good idea. I had a... Uh, a work colleague tell me about Gen Con in particular. She said, mm-hmm. one of the reasons that you're going to get sick going to Gen Con <laughs> is that this is a thing people plan all year for. And if two yeah. days before they come out for it, they've got a little bit of a runny nose and maybe they're running a little bit of a fever. They're not yeah. going to not come. They're just going to come sick. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's how, it, why it's kind of a, a, a Petri dish in a way that something like yeah. a workplace or a school might not be where somebody feels like, all right, well, right. If I'm, I'm sick. I'll stay home. People, if they're sick, they don't stay home from big conventions. They've really planned on to look forward to cruise ships are very much the same way. Right. Wow. That's, so. that's a really good point. And maybe a good reason for me to continue to wear masks all the time, even when we're not in a pandemic, given my <laughs> <Yep>. immunocompromised <laughs> state and the fact yes. that I always get sick, I always get sick at cons. So, yeah. well, you know. <laughs> You know, oh, that's why and I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't part of the problem. I remember one of the early Gen yeah. Cons I went to, you know, and I mean, not only was I excited to go to Gen Con, but I had three other guys and we were all, you know, college, college poor. Yeah. That is to say, not actually yeah. poor, but just without a lot of ready cash the way you yeah. are. And I know that the other three guys were, they needed me to come to help chip in for gas right, and food right. and the hotel. I mean, if I didn't go, they wouldn't go. They couldn't go either. They couldn't afford to. So. Mm. I wasn't letting my friends down as well as myself down. I'm like, oh, well, even though I'm a little sniffly, I better go. So mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You know, it's interesting with the mass, the mandate changed here in Washington on Saturday. And then I gave finals on Tuesday and Wednesday and the students didn't have to wear masks. They weren't, they're not required to, but still a lot of them did in deference to me because they know my situation. That's really kind of them. Um, and I told them they didn't have to, you know, if they're sitting far away from me and everything. But so I thought that was kind of nice. I'm still, I, I had to 
meet with two of my doctors this week as well, because end of the term, I have time for stuff like this. So I scheduled some doctor's appointments. And uh, unfortunately, both of them said I still have to keep wearing masks. I still have to keep avoiding big crowds, can't eat mm. in restaurants still. Um, you know, they don't they don't think I should teach without wearing a mask with the situation. And they are actually both said that probably by mid-April, we'll all be masking up again because it's all going to get bad here anyway. Oh, that's good to hear. I I don't have, I don't have any specific doctor info about what the expectation is. And now I do. So thank you. But still it's like, well, one of them has a friend who's an epidemiologist and they were talking about it, but, uh, and both of them work with immunocompromised patients like myself. Some of them actually a lot older. And so they both have to constantly be on guard and wear masks and uh, they actually, one of the things that they also recommended was to wear glasses. Uh, and that's something that they're all required to do in, in the medical profession now, because I guess you can get COVID that way as well. So, Oh, it's a, I mean, your eyes are a mucous membrane, yeah. so just like the inside yeah. of your nose. And that was something that was newer. I had not, I, I kind of heard that was an issue before, but it's the first time somebody recommended to me that that would be something good to do. And it's like, well... Okay, I'll see. I'm I'm getting some eye surgery coming up, and maybe I'll have to start wearing glasses anyway. So, all right. Well, oh, I've got it covered yeah. just because I wear glasses all the time, regardless. Right. So, right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's it's a lot lot going on with that. So, what's new in your life here, uh, other than all this COVID stuff? Oh, I've got a uh, you know the Kickstarter that we talked about, Scaldwood yeah. Light. Uh, I'm very excited about that. I've got I'm putting in the last. Like the, literally the last three pages of edit changes. Wow. Um, and then that will be done. And I put done in air quotes because the next step is to prepare a printer proof. Right. Where right, right. for all the people that are getting print on demand, I don't want it to look junky. So right. what I'm going to do is I'm going to print on demand a single copy for myself. Well, two, one for me, one for Owen. Right. And then we can look at it and make sure that the, uh, that the, the binding is as we expect, that the mm-hmm. placement of the graphics on the spine makes it. This is actually the first time I've done plenty of print on demand books, but this is the first one I've done with a spine. So I'm like, oh, right. that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can take, you know, a couple of weeks. We, you know, even if I order it as soon as later tonight, it'll be a couple of weeks before it gets printed and shipped out to me. And then I coordinate with Owen about any sort right. of minor changes we want to make. But it's still, it's feeling like early April is still going to be, that's when we're able to just, wow release and everybody gets what they paid for. So that's, it feels like, it feels like I'm not letting anybody down at that schedule. And I feel really good about it. I think we'd said PDF by the end of April and print on demand by the end of August or something like that. It's a very, Mm -hmm. a very comfortable buffer. So uh, things are, things are moving quickly and finishing that up has been uh, quite a lot of fun actually. Now, do you do your own layout and everything and all that you put all the art in there as well? And um, I do. And my my brother, who is was a professional graphic designer for several years, will be quick to point out, oh, oh yes, look how amateurish this is. It is <laughs> oh, no. totally what Ron no. does. Um, no. But yeah, I do it myself. And and I've got a couple of good programs uh, that let right. me manipulate graphics and then manipulate the background and do layout. And, and I, you know, I think it, I think it looks pretty good. It's not anything I would be embarrassed to have on, on my shelf. So yeah. I've got, uh, you know, everything is, everything is gradually pushing up in quality. Right. Even companies right. that are kind of small are able to do some exceptionally uh, uh, 
really good looking things with their layout. And I think that's two, two reasons to that. First, I feel like the general industry is pushing towards a more professional looking layout. And so anybody who wants to be in the industry feels like they have to. But I also think that there is a real sense that editors and graphic designers and layout specialists are necessary people in this field. And it's, mm-hmm. that's not really been the case. It's been the, uh, you know, well, one person kind of lays it out themselves and, and does okay. Uh, there are stories of uh, uh, Kevin, his last name I'm probably going to butcher, Sim- Symboleta, uh, the one who does the Palladium products. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Riffs and things like that. Where, where he will, you know, literally type something up, cut it out on white paper, and then glue it to a page, photocopy the page. That was layout then. Wow. And and up well, until kind of recently was still layout. <laughs> so uh, I, when everybody else had moved on to yeah, other things, that was still yeah. his lay- preferred layout way. Yeah, I, I did some writing back in the day, and that's how we did layout, I, I will say. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that was back in high school, though. High school layout stuff, you know, uh, creative oh, writing yeah. and, you know, putting things together. You know, I, I saw today, actually, I saw a message come across on Discord. Somebody saying, oh, yeah, I'm interviewing Ron Lundin today. Stop by if you want to ask questions or something. Um, you've been doing quite a few interviews lately. Is that right? I did. That's actually been kind of fun. That yeah. was for uh, Hexgrid Hangout. Um, uh-huh. That was really fun. Uh, Don and Carrie asked if I'd be available to to uh, hang out, chat with them about some of the things I'd done recently. It turns out they're playing Horizons of the Vast, and they're in oh. Planetfall, and wanted nice. to talk about Planetfall. Yeah. Oh. And some of the things that they wanted to talk about and pick my brain about are exactly those things that changed in development. So they were, I'm like, that's as much a surprise to me as it is to you. It's kind of fun. Um, yeah, yeah. They have, they've done things a little bit differently than, than we have. Yeah. They started everybody at third level mm-hmm. uh, and the GM has been kind of ramping up the difficulty, which I guess is not impossible, but it, it does yeah. require some work. And the mm-hmm. GM made what he is admitting is maybe a mistake of giving them um, vehicles like right on day one. So they have yeah. not had any any charter turns, and they've still explored like a quarter of the map. They've been all over to explore stuff because wow. they've got uh, vehicles they can go really fast. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I'm like, no, we're we're plodding yeah. along. Our Hortus, in particular, makes us kind of plod along. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the interesting about that, you know, having read through the the first book, it seems like that's really going to short circuit a lot of the things that happen. So he's going to have to add a lot. The GM's going to have to add a lot to kind of beef it up again. Well, and that's what he said he's done. He's he's yeah. re- they're they're really taking their time with it. He's folding in a lot yeah. of sort of home game aspects of it. Okay, I, yeah, that's exciting to hear. As much yeah. as I like hearing people yeah. run what I write, I also yeah. like hearing people uh, I, I customize what I write. That's fun right, too. Right, right. No, I think I think that would be good. It's you know. I'll admit that I, I have this mindset from probably society play of running things as they're written and only when there's nothing for context that, you know, it doesn't explain, Oh, what happens here? Then I'll go ahead and, and kind of go free form on that. I don't intentionally introduce a lot of stuff from the beginning. And maybe that's something I should look into doing. I don't know. 
Well, some, your players won't know any difference usually. Right, right. I mean, heck, I wrote right. the adventure. I'm not going to know any different. Yeah. Right. Um, but we did have a conversation about that. We had a work conversation about that just the other day where yeah. we on the Adventure Path team were talking about how we can set up threads that GMs can use if they want by saying, oh, well, you know, there's there's a whole basement level under here, but it's outside the scope of the adventure. Or right. if they decide to go this edge off the map, mm-hmm. you know, they might find, you know, maybe there's some, you know, goblin gangs over there or something, but it's outside the scope of this adventure. And the organized play people were, that is not a word, that is not a phrase we can use. There is no outside <laughs> the scope of the adventure. If it's yeah. not given to you in the adventure, right. you're doing something wrong. If you feel like you need something outside of the page, you are doing something wrong. Turn back, turn back before you make a bigger mistake. So, well, and, and I, I think, you know, when, when I do run APs, a lot of times we get society credit for it, but we run in campaign mode. So you can relax a lot of those things. You can relax all the races, all the uh, non-society legal spells and feats and stuff you can use. And that's actually one of the things that kind of makes it uh, more fun. I think with an AP is it, that it is a little bit looser in, in in that regard as well, though. So. Well, especially if you've done a lot of society play and you're very yeah. familiar with the restrictions, it's nice to right. be able to, oh, this, now I can play this this race that I otherwise you know, wouldn't be able right. to have access to. I can pick up a playtest class without having to run it in, within the strict confines of the playtest requirements in organized yeah. play. I can just kind of run and have fun with it and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's, I think that's good. So good, good to know about that. Um, have you been doing other interviews as well, or has that just kind of been it for recently? No, I've got that one. I had a a, a very, very long-time friend of mine that I had right. an interview with. Um, he had a uh, – it's actually kind of funny. It's uh, it's my friend Jason Jones, and the interview that he does, he does a lot of pop culture stuff, which occasionally touches on yeah. gaming, and he had me on. Um, and that was really good because it came at the time he saw I was running my Kickstarter and wanted to help support mm-hmm. that. So not oh, yeah. only was it a good opportunity – to catch up and talk about some of the very, very first campaigns we were in together. Um, but also to work with that a little bit, ironically, both of these two interviews, it happened to be the tech savvy individual was gone that day. And so the (laughs) the co-host was having to sort of try to impromptu up as they went along. It'd be like you being gone on this show and me trying to run it you know, oh wait, oh no, that's a that's a tech hiccup. Uh, hang on, everybody. <laughs> oh no, that I guess this works out fine. Alrighty, yeah. hooray for accidents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I think it you would be okay. I mean, what we do here is actually pretty simple. Uh, the recording mechanism. So I think you could manage that okay. All right. Well, I don't. Let's not test that. Right. We've done two <laughs> years without me having to test it. Let's go another two maybe before I. Before all I right. Have to. All right. All right. Well. You know, this is in part why we're recording today, which is a Thursday, instead of our normal Tuesday, uh, so that we can get things done before I take a couple of days off. So, so not to, you, you could have brought in a co-host, but then you'd have to figure out all the tech on your own, I think. You know, easier, easier for me to just come on a few <laughs> days early. Yes. So this will be, so this is, by the time this comes out, well, this will, what we're talking, our conversation here will be a week old. Yes. Yes. Right. So. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, we will have to kind of guess what people are talking about a week from now so that we can address it while we're talking today. What what are they going to be talking about? I've seen some of the other uh, other podcasts talking about somebody's going to be talking about the precog. 
yes. and releasing that. And we promised to talk about the precog as well. We promised way yes. before they promised to talk about I it. I know. Like a month ago. I mean, we knew, hey, <laughs> people are going to be excited to hear about the precog. And then sure enough, on, on Monday, I noticed that uh, Alex and Vanessa were and uh, James were going to talk on no, Di- no Direction Beyond. Yesterday, they had a stream all about the precog breaking down the class. And then that's, I think that's going to come out on Friday is when their YouTube will come out on that. So oh, that'll that's right. be like, so that's when anybody could go see it. Yeah. So that's like going to be like almost a whole week before people hear this. <laughs> and because I was jamming a game last night, I have no idea what they talked about. So well, what um, they, yeah. well I can guarantee you what they didn't talk about yeah. was do, do Ron and John think it's interesting or do they think it's yeah. dumb? I mean, I remind right. you that when we did that, we talked about the uh, uh, the evolutionist. Yeah. Yes. And at the in, outset of that conversation, I thought the evolutionist was kind of dumb. But by yeah. the time we got to the end of it, I saw a lot of really good opportunity and I changed my mind around and I thought the evolutionist actually was pretty cool. Okay. All right. So how should we start here? Oh, well, I'm going to have to say this, though. Having seen you play the precog in a couple of our um, Horizons of the Vast adventures now meetings i actually was surprised at how cool i thought it was so you'll have to tell me a little bit about how you find it starting at first level the precog now well i think i i i think the precog you know i I initially thought it was really interesting and worth giving a try to i i maintain that my attitude hasn't (laughs) changed i still think a precog is really neat there are not the thing that's neat about the precog is that there are the mystic is the only kind of pure spellcaster that is right. thrown into the game. I mean, there you can you can absolutely play. I mean, there okay. So there's the uh, um, if you the, the problem the mystic is the one out of the out of the base book, right? Right. Okay. Because the there's just too much tech. Right. And there's an expectation that you'll have all kinds of computers and engineering expertise, which is super important expertise to have um, if you're playing sort of the, uh, you know, a tech wizardy character is going to be emphasis on the tech. A mystic can be a real emphasis on just the spell casting, but mystics, because they're so good at healing, tend to be very healer focused when you play a mystic. And I think even the witch warper carried a lot of really awesome thematic stuff with it but that Mm -hmm. same thematic stuff doesn't it doesn't lean into it kind of seems to lean away from some of the pure spell casting whereas Mm -hmm. precog Mm -hmm. on the other hand seems to lean into pure spell casting and i really like that about it there there is no expectation on me to do anything except to be casting spells about stuff yes and in fact the way that i use my uh paradoxes the way the class features is they help you with spell castery things like oh you need to overcome spell resistance we can help you with that you make caster level check this is a thing that you can use it for right be be even more spell castery than you were before mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. for somebody that's looking for a fairly dedicated spellcaster that isn't the healer i feel like the precog is an excellent choice that's a that's that's how i feel it's 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 role has defined itself and i've been able to play into that very very solidly um I, the thing that is really awkward about playing a precog in the uh, specifically in the horizons of the vast is that we rarely do more than one encounter a day. And so right. 
sort of the little ritual of, oh, I get up in the morning, I'm going to pre-roll yeah. my two rolls, and then I'm going to utilize them for things, is always a, all right, well, four days later, you get, you know, jumped by such and such monster. I'm like, oh, oh I guess I better real quick roll my two dice and right, see whether they're right. going to be any good, right? It's not really a pre-roll as much as it's sort of a uh, beginning of combat, oh, oh, crap, I forgot about it real quick roll. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I, to the extent we get into any lengthy uh, exploration of a specific adventure site that will absolutely change. And I know there is one of those coming up in book one here. So yes. Um, yes. But for now, when the more we're out doing some exploration, it feels like the pre-rolling isn't really built for that. It's built for more of a society play kind of thing or a uh, lengthy expedition or a lengthy excursion into a single encounter location type of type of thing. Um, which isn't bad. It's just a, a thing to keep in mind for playing a precog. If somebody came to me and said, I'm interested in playing a spellcaster as a precog going to be good. I would say, yes, it is. Maybe not for horizons of the vast, mm-hmm. but. Well, you know, one of the interesting things that changed from the, the pretest to the actual class coming out was the fact that the, the prime attribute was dexterity still mm-hmm. is but the casting number you know spells and all this stuff is still based on intelligence does that hamper you at all having to buff up your decks as a caster i i, I know it's useful a lot of ways but right. would you rather be able to do something else instead no i feel like i feel like decks matters i i as soon as i saw that the precog playtest had decks as its casting stat yeah. I thought, okay, well, what's it really going to be? Right? There, <laughs> yes. I can understand that part of the point yeah. of a play test, and it's, it's a, there's, a lot more, there's a lot more thought that goes into play tests, I think, than a lot of people assume. A lot mm-hmm. of the play test classes are put together with intentionally off-the-wall things that we want to see people respond to, and with intentionally underpowered things that we want people to complain about. Right? No, no play test class is given in a way that the designers feel is balanced right out of the gate. It is imbalanced, and it's often imbalanced in some contradictory ways because they want to get some specific data about the way the class plays. To be honest, I was pretty sure that the Vanguard wouldn't last as a constitution-based character, but oh, it was. Great. Well, um, they, they balanced that out by limiting when you could apply your strength to damage, though. So uh, Right, it, right. Yeah. Yeah. But the uh, but I didn't think that Dex was ever going to be the the precog's sort of primary ability score when it came out in the book. But dexterity is already everybody's most important. Everybody's most important attribute. I mean, even if you're somebody who think ostensibly doesn't use it at all, you're a heavy armor wielding soldier. You're a Solarian who's got so many other things that are more important to be higher than dexterity. It's still the thing that builds up your armor class that builds up your reflex save that builds up some of your most important skills. So it's never a not important skill to have. I do feel like intelligence was the absolute right choice for a precog because a precog's theme is like knowing stuff, knowing stuff ahead of time and getting glimpses of stuff. And that that's always been kind of super thinky, right? In, in my way of thinking, I suppose you could probably, spin it maybe kind of, you know, wise that you're predicting based on, you know, kind of a a sense motive sort of way, but it feels very 
thinky to me, that that trope. And so intelligence feels right. And playing a precog with a high intelligence leans into the way that I feel like I enjoy playing a precog. So I feel like that works. Mm-hmm. Well, the interesting other interesting thing about it, I noticed, you know, having dex is uh, your, your key ability uh, sc- score, right? And on top of that, the weapon proficiencies are crazy good for a caster, you know? Uh, yeah, because they're customizable. They're not, but the output isn't necessarily good, but mm-hmm. the formation of them is very broad. So if you want to be a caster who can use a sniper rifle, oh, well, precog is a good way to go. But that same precog isn't going to be able to use a lot of other things. So, right, I mean, you, right, you have right. to pick you have to pick your advanced melee weapons or your long arm or your sniper. I mean, that's, so it's always a, uh, a way to make things just a little bit different. I feel like making that a specific choice that is independent of your focus mm-hmm. is a little bit interesting because I could see folding those in together, right? If you are right, right, right. somebody who is from a doomed future where everything is sort of a, you know, hard scrabble and tough, maybe that means, advanced melee weapons must be the thing you pick right whereas if you're a you know kind of a prognosticator sort maybe sniper rifle fits with that then go that way they let you pick and mm-hmm. the uh having played an envoy for so many levels where i realized <laughs> long arms were so important and actually going out of my way to take weapon proficiency in long arm i decided to start with long arm for my precog as well right right and i i actually like having a long arm as a caster i have a couple other characters and an envoy that has a long arm uh specialization primarily because you can do some damage when you're out of spells and that's that's probably the biggest thing i don't like about having a you know an adventure where you're spending a, a an inordinate amount of time in there and you can't rest that you use up all your good spells at lower levels anyway higher levels you get a chance to to get some uh, spells that you can use all the time, but lower levels, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm out of spells. That's it. I plank away at my, at my small arm. So having some other options, I think is really nice. Yeah. I think the, my preferred option is the scaling cantrips variant from galactic yes. magic. Yes. Um, yes. Because that means I'm not going to have to do, be relying on a small, I think my long arm will ultimately be better if yeah. I keep a level appropriate long arm, but it sure is nice to know that I'm, I'm never going to be in a situation where the answer is no, there really isn't anything you can do. Right. Yeah. I, for, I forget again, we're not in society play and we're, we have allowed that you're the only caster in our group though. Is that right? I am. Yeah. Wow. I think yeah, that's because, right. Yeah. So, soldier, biohacker, Vanguard. Yeah. Um, Mechanic. Op- operative no mechanic and and then a nanosite a nanosite that's right yeah yeah so the the frontliner is a nanosite (laughs) yeah because the soldier is the the archer (laughs) right right yeah yeah well so you picked uh doomed future is that right as your anchor well i did and that was actually just because i know enough about the overall campaign to know that there is doom coming Oh, oh. And so that was just so I can play into the fact that I can be like, everything is going to be awful. We're (laughs) every, but all life on this planet is doomed. Doomed, do you hear? Um, 
So, uh, so that's why I picked that one primarily because I thought that would be kind of fun to role play. And it was kind of mm-hmm. a neat in-game way to sort of mask a little bit of out-of-game knowledge that I have um, without being right. able to give any sort of specifics about, uh, um, I mean, though, the extent of the specifics I have could be summed up in a sentence or two, but that's a pretty spoilery sentence or two, so I'm not going to say it. Um, even knowing just that, I'm like, oh, well, that solves a lot right. of the mystery and and is a good enough reason for somebody who has seen that to be, oh, nope, things are super doomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed with the anchors that they're real similar to the Vanguard aspects in that mm-hmm. you kind of have a an early one that helps you with some things, then a, kind of a middle one and kind of a later one. Um, so, you know, it's kind of neat. It looks like the, the precog model in that regard is real similar to how they kind of built out the Vanguard, which I think is a really neat, neat system for doing it. Well, and then one of the ways that that is particularly interesting is because most campaigns, you have a good sense of where you're going to be landing, right? Oh, we're playing an adventure path. We know one through 13, right? Or, Mm -hmm. oh, we're doing devastation arc. We know we're going to be, you know, high level. So you can either omit the ones that are like, you know, 14th level. Oh, my 14th level ability isn't going to matter, right? Or, oh, if we're going to be going a long campaign, my middle ability, the ninth-ish level one is going to matter kind of a whole lot. So mm-hmm. maybe I ought to pick one of those that's good. Or if it's one of the things where you're like, well, we get together whenever and our campaign never go very long, maybe the I ought to focus on the very first one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, part of the th- advantage I picked with Doomed Future is that each of them lets you apply your paradox to something else. And I didn't feel like being able to apply to more skills was necessarily very helpful. And that's what the, mm-hmm. the other options are. Um, the uh, But being able to apply to fortitude saves feels very useful. And so mm-hmm. it happens that Doomed Future also has that kind of mechanical lift to it that I very much like, of being able to apply that to a fortitude save. Well, and it looks like, from what I've seen so far in game, that your your character actually the, does some decent damage with spells already at first level. Uh, that's that's yes, and that's been the case primarily because the damage I do is always going to seem higher. Because Mm -hmm. the damage I say is success. That is to say, if I'm saying, oh, this is going to do nine points, make a fortitude save for half, you know, in your mind, you're like, oh, that's a nine point attack. Well, maybe it's only a four point attack. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's the, uh, that's, that's, but yes, it's nice to be able to consistently uh, play with that. I feel like the precog spells have a lot of good thematic application Mm -hmm. too. My two main first level spells have been the one that, pushes somebody to the to the uh, towards the end of their natural life so they take a bunch right. of damage yeah. or the blessing of youth the one that that pushes your allies back towards when they were healthier and that mm-hmm. restores stamina so mm-hmm. i think those are thematically really neat injury echo the basic cantrip is also fun right right yeah injury echo that's the one that you've been using quite a bit so mm-hmm. that seems pretty helpful uh yeah i you know i i, I don't think you've used the stamina one yet in game i didn't even rec- realize you had that i haven't had to i mean i'm right. i keep it available right and i'm excited right. to use it if somebody needs it um but anytime you've got anytime you're a character who can heal stamina i think this applies mostly to envoys but also to this kind of yeah. precog if you've got party members who are low on stamina then your calculus when it gets to be your turn in combat is do i help them restore some of the stamina or are mm-hmm. we near enough to the end of this fight that my best action is to help end the fight very quickly? 
Right, 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 right. And especially in my case where it's, well, I could either do some good damage to the enemy or heal your stamina back. Sometimes the situation is, well, maybe I just do more damage to the enemy and then we call the fight over and then they can heal their own stamina with a resolve point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for a long drown out fight, though, it's helpful to have that stamina replenishment. Oh, yeah. What, um, how does that scale? How much stamina replenishment can you do and how does that scale as you level? Do you know? I am I am worried that if I talk about it, I'm going to be keeping in mind the uh, um, uh, the damage doing one, which I'm more ex- excited about. Oh. I've used it more, right? Yeah. That's the uh, the one that does. Uh, I think it's one d ten, three d ten, six d ten, or something. That's uh, that's yeah. that's particularly uh, uh, particularly big so- like that. But the even the the one that's the blessing of youth is pretty good. I think that's d eights. I want to say, mm-hmm. and it is. Yeah, it's it's uh uh one d eight, three d eight, five d eight, seven d eight. So as you go up first, second, third, fourth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also mm-hmm. makes people move a little bit faster, which is kind of fun. That's a, sort of a little boost that right. kind of says says youth. But the one that pushes people, death's door that pushes people to the end of their life yeah. is one d ten, two d ten, four d ten, six d ten, et cetera. And it also does strength and dexterity damage, which is wow. Uh, kind of an, an extra little rider there. I feel like Starfinder doesn't do very much with ability score damage, even though it's part of the rules. Right. Um, and in fact, there was a, uh, I was working on a uh, project with a friend of mine uh, that I think never actually got to publication for a third party press. Um, but one of the things he was saying is, oh, we could do a bunch of these rules that talk about taking ability score damage. And I'm like, but there's no ability score damage in Starfinder. He's like, but but there is. And yeah. I looked, I'm like, oh my goodness, you're you're right. It just doesn't come up very often, right? Radioactivity brings it up, but uh yeah. Well, we've seen it. We saw that in Dead Suns, some ability score damage, I think. And I think one of the issues with it is it's really hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Um at the at yeah. the level that you can get it, it's really difficult to get rid of, especially if because you need a higher level. Uh, mystic in order to remove it then typically you'll have in party so that I, I, that's i think that's kind of the issue that i seem to recall with it uh, in society play you can always get it taken care of out of game right in between missions and stuff but during an ap it seems quite a bit a bit more challenging yeah it might be that it's that it's rare because it's so so punitive right 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 so well, so what is your favorite thing about the precog so far then? Oh gosh. Um from a uh from a mechanical perspective, I do really like the pre-rolling. I feel like that's kind oh. of fun. It's not and the and in in play, I've seen that as not um not so much here's how I'm going to ensure a success. It's here's how I'm going to mitigate against some abject failure, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you knew you could take an eight on a fortitude save, right? And you know, maybe maybe that's going to do it for you. You don't need to worry about rolling a one or two because right. you've always got that eight right there. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be the case when we get into where uh, higher levels where your paradox can be used for more things like an initiative roll or something like that. Right. I don't think that it's ever going to be a situation where I'm like, oh, let me use my paradox so my initiative can be very, very first. It's, yeah. well, let me use it so I'm not last. And maybe I can get in a uh, an attack before the enemy, a slow enemy goes. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
I really think that from a mechanical perspective, I think that's really interesting. Um, from a role-playing perspective, the thing that I like is sort of the the sort of the oracle nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. No matter how what kind of precog you play, whether you are, you know, cast adrift in time or, you know, chronomancer type thing or something like that, the whole the whole point of playing a precog is I I know things. I know things that are gonna be coming. And that's a really fun role-playing hook. Yeah. It's a hard role-playing hook to make work well in a lot of role-playing games because the player having no knowledge of what's coming up is pretty critical to the way the game is played. Right. So being able to play a character that does know some of that stuff is really kind of neat. It's a hard it's a hard line to walk. Yeah. But I feel like the precog does very well with it and I've enjoyed that kind of thing. You know, oh, this has got a I've got a bad feeling about this. This is going to be a terrible idea. We're going to have doom on all of us. You know, that kind of thing is yeah. is how I've just de- I've decided to spin it with my character. And you can easily see a precog that does it the other way, right? That's uh, right. you know, going all Doctor Strange looking through the million futures uh, all at once and things like that. That's just, that's kind of a fun, mm-hmm. a really fun role-playing hook. So mm-hmm. that's my favorite sort of mechanical or uh, non-mechanical thing about yeah. it. Well, I, and I agree. I think I, I'd like to see you do that a lot more in game. I think that will be a lot of fun, especially when people start making plans to do things. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. We should, cause a lot of times we're strategizing and doing stuff, you know, the players are, um, I'd like for you to just come out and say, oh, no, that'll never work. We're doomed. You know, <laughs> Terrible <just> kinda... <laughs> idea. Do- yeah. Nothing lies that way but doom. It's yeah. like trying to think that something yeah. is uh, outside the scope of the adventure yeah. for organized play. Yeah. No, that means it's wrong. <laughs> we must not go that way. Yeah, so that's really good. Yeah, I, have, um, I haven't made many casters. It's, I'm not a huge caster, as you've probably seen in the games that we've played in, I almost always play a non-caster type. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thought, I, I, I mean, I do have some, I have a, like a 12th level mystic. I like, I have a, like a fifth level technomancer or third level witch warper, but I have a lot of those are GM credits, right? So I played them once in a while, but I haven't but you played, played them, them all the way up. Yeah. yeah. But I, I think what you're saying uh, in terms of the role play, value of the precog actually makes it really appealing you know i think because that's what i've been getting into like i made you know i've made a a new mystic now that's just just uh it's an sro so it's just all completely just playing up the fact that it's a mechanical thing and it's trying to you know heal all these fleshy bodies around and why do you keep falling (laughs) apart and stuff and uh and, and that's all i do it's just and i i try to the entire four-hour scenario, completely stay in character with my my uh, mechanical voice. And I'm oh, sure that's players, funny. I think the players find it very irritating, but, you know, I do it mostly with a local group. And, you know, after three or four sessions, they've realized that's what I'm going to do and, and they get by with it. <laughs> but, um, no, but I think with a precog, that that's – I'm always I'm always looking for something kind of cool and fun to do because I got so many, so many characters to play and it's like – I want to do something different. I want to do something fun while I'm playing. I'm not really worried about mm-hmm. the actual what I'm accomplishing. It's more, am I having fun while I'm doing it? And I think the precog actually sounds precisely up that alley. Yeah, I think, you know, give it a try. I think yeah. that it's it's an awful yeah. lot of fun. I would encourage anybody yeah. that is interested in trying out a uh, spellcaster in Starfinder to give the precog a whirl. 
Now, if mm-hmm. you are the sort of person who, when you play a spellcaster, likes to be the person everybody can count on to heal you, I don't know, maybe still play a precog because the blessing <laughs> of youth, it's got, I mean, it's got yeah. some opportunities in that yeah. regard. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, if that were a cantrip, that would be a little bit better because you're going to run out of spells pretty quick if you're constantly healing stamina, I would imagine, though. Well, yeah, but let's go back to what you were talking about, where they can actually have a weapon loadout that makes it, even if they run out of their spells doing that, they still can contribute pretty effectively in a combat. I think that's true. Yeah, especially with decks being their key stat, you know. So it's like, well, I'll load up on that, and I'll be really good at shooting things, and uh, and I'll be able to have some additional insights I have and do some, some healing. And like with our group, I mean, basically we have you, and then our biohacker has some capability down the road mm-hmm. to heal stamina and that's it you know that's all the healing we have among six players so right but we also have an opportunity right now to be oh we've gotten in some trouble well we just leave right we go 12 yes. miles away now we're in yes. another hex and there's no we have nothing to fear <laughs> well eventually there's going to be some sort of dungeon kind of thing and you oh, might yes. not be able and, to do and that. Then, so. <laughs> and then our poor planning will come back to haunt us. And there I'll yes, be, I yes. told you so. I told you all so. <laughs> yeah, everybody will start taking a level of uh, Envoy or Mystic or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> something to just bring some of it back. Yeah. All right. Well, that's exciting. I I, I think um, I think our take on the precog is probably going to be a lot different than, than what they did in No Direction Beyond. But I think it's a... I think it sounds like a really fun class. And I'll be honest, I wasn't terribly interested in it until you started playing it. And even then it's like, well, I need to learn something about it. But now my brain's working and thinking, yeah, this could, this could be a lot of fun. This could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I do like it. One of the things I'd like to do is if I could predict the future a little bit yeah. is that in, you know, a couple months we come back to it, right. When I've got a precog yeah. that's, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth level, presuming, survival that long right <laughs> and i might then i might have a lot more to say about what a precog yeah. does sort of the mid-level as well yeah. so i i predict that we will do that already that's <laughs> so a your precog as well then <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'm john and i'm ron and this is digital divination